Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. That's the show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful leaders in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And this very day, you are going to feast on a delightful second helping from America's greatest food expert, Mr. Brian Todd, who by popular demand, and at no little expense, I might add, has been induced, seduced, and traduced to return right after his stellar episode of last week and continue enlightening us with a full story of our food. Now, last week, Brian chatted about our culture's current obsession with food and the retail machinations that form our menus uh, with restaurants and supermarkets, etc. This week, uh, Brian shifts to a more global vision of our food industry as are coming from and what in heaven's name is being done to it and who's bringing it to us and at what cost and so forth and so on. So we're also going to have some uh, accurate and informed prognostications of how and what we'll be eating in the future. So be prepared to be surprised. And whether you are a carefully shopping homemaker seeking some accurate answers about the food you purchase for your family like Mark or you are an angel investor seeking out some profitable and humanly beneficial investments like Paula. Pull up your chair a little closer. Join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your adventures flourish. Brian, I'm so glad that you've been able to break free and come join us to discuss the fate of food and uh, the many dynamic pathways that are going to deliver it into our tummies. Well, thank you very much for having me back. I'm really looking forward to today. Oh, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, now, Brian, you've spent about the last 38 years in the study of food uh, industry. Actually, you, you, uh, you've been working with the Food Institute uh, all that time, and you've disseminated most uh, of, of the really important material uh, about food. And uh, could you tell us a little bit the kind of knowledge you develop and for whom you, uh, whom, whom you disseminated it? Sure. Well, we have um, we're basically an industry research organization, and um, our our members and users range the the swath of the food industry from farm to fork. We say uh, large companies, small companies, and everyone in between. Um, and we the type of information we've been providing. Um, I've been here 38 years. The Food Institute has been around since 1928. Um, but uh, mm. right now, it's the, the food industry has developed into a 1.6 trillion dollar industry. Um, which is oh uh, tremendous compared to where I was 38 years ago when it was was a fraction of that. And um, more recently, uh. Uh, we're finding it going much more in the online section um, of the of the market. Oh, now that's interesting because I I have heard that uh, that the retailers, the generally the all over retail population, said uh, said when they delivered that uh, we spent five point Three trillion on retail this uh, last year, and of that, an interesting, not mere nine percent was online. Uh, I it, was the food uh, industry be about um, that that percentage or, or fairly close. 
Um, actually, it's built up um, tremendously over the past few years. As a matter of fact, right now, um, there was a report out this week, about 5.5% of, uh, of food spending is online. And that uh, is actually no up, they say, 22% from a year ago. So growing rapidly, wow. um, but still as a uh, you know 5.5% of a 1.6 trillion dollar business is uh, is pretty substantial. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, it 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 truly is and this is the thing that's going to make it break uh many many firms within cyberspace because there is as you say so much money to be played with out there and to be made and uh, of course expanded. Now on our last show, you, you really sort of unveiled our eating habits and the trends in markets and restaurants and cooking, etc. Uh, this time, let's, let's plunge a little bit more into the food industry and some of the global parts. Uh, and delving right in, it seems to me, from everything I've read, that food seems to have gone the way of banking. Every food source is merging into a very few corporate hands. Is, how true is the claim that... Uh, 90% of what we buy in the market now comes from a mere half dozen companies. True or not? Uh, actually, m more of a uh, an urban myth, I believe. Uh, <laughs> it's out there. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of the uh, – there are, of course, many large companies distribute a, a large amount of food, but when you start looking at the actual dollars, um, you know, the Pepsis, the Cokes, the Nestles, the Kraft Heinz, um, when yeah. you add up, you know, the top five, they, you know, maybe they contribute, you know, 20, 25 percent um, of food that's sold. This would be in the U.S., of course, and globally. Um, I think we, a, a smaller percentage is, uh, you know, there are many more players across there, although there are so many large corporate uh, global behemoths such as a human Nestle and a Unilever and even Coca-Cola, of course. Right, right. Well, now uh – if assuming that this conglomeration will continue, um, I uh, and it's not as you say a, a total domination, but it it, it is uh, it seems like something is progressing. What are the advantages for you and me as consumers to uh, a sort of swelling into fewer hands of the uh, of the food, and what are some of the disadvantages? Sure. Well, well, some of the advantages, um, in many cases, are that you know the larger companies are uh, making more products available. So, smaller specialty products, particularly over the past few years, the the larger companies, the Hershey's, the Unilevers, are buying up uh, smaller niche companies. So, giving them a bigger bigger audience, such as you know Hershey with the Crave meat snacks, um, Unilever with Sir Kensington's specialty ketchup. So something that uh, maybe. <laughs> Previously, would have had a you know a small regional uh, following. Um, now opens up to uh, you know to the entire U.S. and indeed in some cases the whole world. Um, you know, so to me, it's you know it's giving more more and more choices to the consumer that's out there, and uh, also uh, you know, in, in many cases making it uh, more economically feasible and available because uh, of the economies of scale. Um, as far as disadvantages, uh, you know, I think anyone, you know, everyone talks about the big food companies and taking over and they're in it for a profit. And, of course, they are because they're publicly traded companies in many ways and have to answer to their shareholders. But, um, you know, at that time, just that, you know, it's too big and it's in too few hands in some cases, uh, you know, that's the way, uh, you know, some of the uh, the critics will look at it in that sense. But um, but I still think you know overall it's 
you know the the benefits outweigh the uh, the negatives. I I I just want to make sure that 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 the two two aspects come in on this about it. we as we look at this conglomeration and first of all when a major company like Nestle's or Unilever buys a product a standalone product they're typically offering them primarily distribution, sales, marketing, and so forth. They're not necessarily changing the product. Uh, This so often happens in in all uh, industry with with these buy-ups. So the product is not changed, I believe, as much as we think. And secondly, there are a whole lot of other small specialty entrepreneurial uh, niches waiting to take its place. True or false? Yes, uh, very much true, and um, I think uh, you know an example of that would be Ben and Jerry's and Unilever. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when they uh, they purchased it many years ago, um, you know, kept the <laughs> kept the uh, you know the product the <laughs> same. Kept Ben the and Jerry. Uh, <laughs> kept right, yes. <laughs> um, and you know, and it became uh, you know the, the following kept it, and and even to this day, I mean, I'm sure you know many people don't realize that uh, Ben and Jerry's is not uh, you know made. Just by you know two small guys in Vermont uh, anymore like that, <laughs> <laughs> but probably the taste is very very similar to what it was when it when uh, when they were stirring out yep. back in the barn. My I guess would be so. If you have just joined us, you are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the mightily misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. We are on live radio and a whole host of Internet streams, but the best way to find this and all the past shows is to visit theartoftheceo.com. Now, Brian, we touched on this last time, but I wanted to come back to it uh, from another angle. We talked about, uh, we mentioned that how the how seasonality has gone out of food. The, those rare periodic delicacies of fruits and vegetables that we could get only a month a year now have become monthly staples, daily staples, January through December, and uh, this is do very much to the huge cross global fresh food delivery systems can you um what is can you sort of give us an idea of what is how the the, the delivery system have expanded and grown in in say the last decade oh sure well there's there's been much more um just availability and uh you know a lot of the reasoning behind that and the the uh, the cause of that you know improves in logistic improvements in logistics uh computerization in many ways where um people can oh. you know access things much more quickly uh rather than waiting for you know <laughs> you know going back my 38 years before when you know a fax was a modern device and people would be waiting for orders <laughs> to come over so uh the whole supply chain has just speeded up so much um and also the ah. um, the advent of traceability of food products so they can um you know, go right to the source and know exactly how much is there, how much is being shipped, and kind of get it into the supply line more quickly. Um, and then, of course, just the, the technology with uh, larger um, uh, container ships and uh, better technology in freezing uh, and uh, and refrigeration. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it, it really is amazing how 
much it has changed over the the past few decades. And then, of course, just the expansion of um, you know more and more ports and larger ports, even in you know be it you know New York, Newark area, has increased tremendously. And um, they've had to change the <laughs> the bridges so the container ships can fit under them. So um, you know we're just seeing more and more products being available and coming in. I I think it's amazing. I I had we had uh, some shows back. We had a uh, shipping expert come on, and he was we, he was talking about these two thousand container ships that that go along, and he mentioned that he said, "Do you know how uh, they handle piracy on the high seas? These these uh, large container ships." I said, "I have no idea." He said, "They outrun them. They are the these huge container ships have enough power that they are faster." than the fascinating cigarette uh, machine gun toting uh, pirate ships literally cannot keep up with these with, with today's uh, cargo shippers. I, I this means obviously that they can get things very very fast. There, it also means that if you're pulling uh, plums from Chile, the timing must be exquisitely. Uh, uh, portended, right? You know, you have to really focus in on that. You, they do, and um, interesting. You mentioned Chile because the, uh, you know, one of the the largest, uh, if not the largest, you know, exporter of fresh fruits to the U.S. Um, probably excluding bananas, but um, <laughs> you know, because their season runs the opposite of ours, it you know it works out perfectly for yes. them. So uh, you know that we can get our, uh, you know, our grapes, uh, you know, in the winter, and uh, and our plums and peaches and so forth. So um, it has proved, and uh, and you know, the the exporters and the food industry down there has um, has realized that and uh, has been very successful in taking advantage of the of that fact. You know, I, I think that's the whole thing. We are covering such vast distance. I remember when I was in Tierra del Fuego, I was down there in w- what was our summer, and I met the the Italian ski team practicing, so it, it brings it home to you. But um, now, uh, is is there – so you, you have this in, enlarged uh, ability to, to deliver food. Does this mean more food is getting into the remote places that have not had it before or not? Um, as far in, in some cases, yes, and but even in the United States, we still have you know food deserts where uh, you know it isn't quite making right. it uh, to the end user. But um, but I think it, it has improved. There's certainly a, a long way to go before um, you know globally uh, food starts getting into the hands of uh, of as many people as it needs to get into. Um, I think there's been improvement there. And again, even, you know, technology has helped uh, there. There's a, um, I remember going to a, a few conferences at Tufts, which is very you know, big in nutrition worldwide. And um, and the product, I think it was, you know, uh, peanut fluff. It's, it was a, a peanut <laughs> product, high nutritious, that um, that was being distributed to, to many of the um, areas where the large populations were starving, you know, as a, as a nutritious, mm. <laughs> basically peanut butter sandwich type item. Um, so I think there's oh, uh, you know, much more to be done. But, again, technology and, um, and science and uh, just the goodwill of people is kind of, I think, helping on that, but uh, still a long way to go. Uh, well, now, where would a food desert be in the U.S.? Uh, give me an example. 
Sure. It, it, in some cases, it could be in an inner city um, where there just are not, you know, any large supermarkets, um, you know, even you know where they're going in there. So people are forced to buy from perhaps a small bodega or a small store, um, and of course, you know, literally a desert someplace out in some remote rural area where the offerings are very slim. But um, but in many cases, it is in more of the urban areas and the the larger cities where. Um, which are considered food deserts in many ways. I think uh, there are several yeah. companies that are kind of looking to uh, to expand there, including you know even Walmart, um, you know, trying to get into some of the inner cities, city areas. And uh, there's one uh, a uh, a retailer with a, a shop right um, outside Philadelphia um, who has done a great job of trying to kind of invade those food deserts and uh, and make products wow. more available. That is going. That's good news for the nutrition of of everybody. It's it's funny you mentioned Walmart, uh, and because you had told me when we talked previously that Walmart is the largest retail purveyor of food, and that was a real shock to me. Why why is why are they the largest? Um, well, because mainly because they're um, they're national footprint, uh, so they have stores in every state, uh, unlike um, of course. other retailers out there. Um, I mean, the next largest food retailer um, is Kroger, which uh, has you know an expansive reach. But um, even today, we just reported that uh, they bought some uh, some property in Florida, which would be if they do indeed open a store there, would make their first entry into Florida, where Walmart has been uh, for many many years oh. and selling food for the past 30 at least if not longer no okay so i i think we all tend to think of our mar- our markets as you know my shop right is obviously everywhere out from from here to juno but of course it's not and uh it's uh so that i just thought that was an interesting fact and finally just one more thing but before we do take a break if i am a uh restaurant owner or i am um a food Chef, if I'm a chef, if I'm a preparer, or if I uh, am starting a mid-sized farm, how would I go about joining the uh, the Food Institute, and what would be some of the advantages? Sure. Um, well, to join, you can go to our website, www.foodinstitute.com, and with that, uh, you would get a daily email giving you uh, the lowdown on the food industry day-to-day. Uh, typically comes over about lunchtime um, on the East Coast, a little earlier on the West Coast, uh, keeping How everyone handy. informed. The, <laughs> While I'm eating my and, peanut uh, butter fluff nutritious <laughs> sandwich, right? <laughs> Very much so, and uh, and that information <laughs> can be used in many ways. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh my, you know it was funny when I was young. Peanut butter was was so good and so tasty that we all assumed that it was it was bad for you. It was that that puritanical upbringing. If it tastes, if if, if it feels good, it must be bad. Well, at any rate, before we lapse into into my foolish memories, why don't we? Uh, take a break from noshing at today's feast of wisdom and also have a brief sorbet allowing me to proffer you a few shall we say utensils for today's metaphorical feast uh first utensil as i always do allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of chief executive officer of yourself and since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career allow me to ask Will this be the day that you take a look at your immediate goals and determine if this is the game 
you're shooting at, and it and is that the game you really want to bring down and take home? Or will you continue to shoot for goals that others have set up for you? The choice, my friend, is truly, truly yours. Second utensil, I can sense your uh, yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste the scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book, which I am pulling down as we speak, and I am rummaging through it. And here we, okay, here is number 79. An entrepreneur is someone who fears missing out on the fun of business more than she fears failing at it. <laughs> and as an afterthought, don't you you, you know people who, who just can't quit reaching for life's richest plums, even if some of them are going to turn out to be sour and folks laugh at them. Don't you just love folks like that? Don't you just want to be one? Well, there's it's a thought. It's there, it's yours for the taking. What do you think, Brian? Did we get that right? Are, are there a lot of new women entrepreneurs entering the food industry? Uh, definitely so. Um, if you were to stroll down the aisles of the fancy food show in uh, in New York, you'll see many more women-owned businesses and uh, coming up with new ideas and new products, um, as well as women generally in business. Uh, just this week it was announced uh, Beth Ford uh, became the first woman CEO at uh, Atlanta Lakes. Um, so uh, ah. we're seeing more and more at the uh, at the high level of uh, of the corporate world as well. Well, I I'm very glad to see that I I can boast a little family line along this way. Back right about the time your food institute was beginning, my grandmother Grace Crane Smith ran a radio show in New York, and from there a small magazine called Table Topics, and she would pass on recipes and foods that were worth buying and so forth and so on. So Grace Crane Smith was one of those women who also pushed for who pushed forward food and uh, the whole sense of business for so many people, a, a real pioneer, and I, I'm just giving my, my little family plug, if I may. Well, she probably anyway, could be on the you know, Food Network store right now. <laughs> oh God, yes, yes. She, uh, she. I'm not sure if she had better legs than Rachel Ray, but she certainly had uh, the wit and charm. And if you smirked a bit over that quip, by the way, we have them literally by the books full. Just, just go to bartsbooks.com and get 101 or 102 best business quips, and you will pull out of your quiver some sweet mirth and clever barbs that are going to just add a little light and laughter to all of your fellow coworkers, and it's going to be good fun. And as the third utensil, we sumptuously spoon out to you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is the name of the individual who said, I love this one, May the gods confound that man who first discovered how to distinguish hours and set up a sundial to hack and cut up my days so wretchedly into such small portions. <laughs> Those words were spoken by none other than the ancient Roman playwright Plautus, who even then was haunted by time being sliced too thinly. He was, by the way, the playwright whose play was adopted to A Funny Thing Happened in the Way to the Forum. So stick with us, because later on the show, Blurting Away, comes another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's in I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a soul-stirring gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books. And before we return to Mr. Brian Todd, who is rolling out all the mysteries of what we eat, allow me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we're here today, and that firm is 
Amston Art, the creator of some of the most inspired and really effective art that you will ever want presenting your firm and your message. Dorothy Amston insists on what I can only term old-fashioned quality. I personally witnessed her work. She puts copy on a page, book, annual report, whatever, line by line, carefully to put your precious words to the greatest effect, and wait till you see the cartoonist she puts to work for your material. Her projects have garnered national awards from publishers and the American Hospital Association, to name a few, and I must tell you, I have recommended Amson Art to several colleagues, and they have all thanked me afterwards. So if you need reports, booklets, ads, anything that requires artistic visual presentation, Pick up your pen, dip it in the inkwell, and jot this email down. Dorothy, D-O-R-O-T-H-Y, at A-M-S-D-E-N-A-R-T dot com, amstonart.com. And if you are a Art of the CEO listener, you may get a free consultation by phoning Dorothy's team direct at 609-405-800. I'm sorry, 609-405-8066. Schedule a time to lay out your project carpet, DM, my friend. You are indeed worth it. Now, let us return to Brian Todd, who is going to bring to bear his unrivaled expertise in the food industry and make us all aware of what we eat and how it gets to us and therefore terrify us a little. (laughs) Anyway, unfair. Brian, it seems to me that the food industry is, as you have pointed out, doing a really impressive job of gathering good foods from all over the world to the households that can pay. Uh, but one's food attitude, I fear, is often shaped about how by how much of it one can get. We've got a world's population nudging 7.6 billion. Can the food industry, as it is now, is it, are we capable of feeding all of the, uh, those hungry homo sapiens? As it is now. Uh, that's a great <laughs> that's a great question, Bart. Um, in many ways, as, as you know, mentioned before, um, yeah. In in some ways, food is getting to where it has to go, but uh, but in many other places, it is not. Um, but of course, the, the U.S. is still uh, you know the premier food producer in the world, and uh, it's amazing when you look at what crops it is. Um, Growing and exporting, you know, across the globe each year, you know, from corn to, uh, mm. to soybeans to to meats, um, you know, reaching into uh, you know the far reaches, and um, it it is really a, truly amazing that they have continued to expand production, you know, pretty consistently over the past uh, you know several decades, and um, continue to do so. Uh, you know, personally, uh, you know, I'm sure there is a, there will be a tipping point um, exactly when that happens. Um, I know there are others out there that uh, that can uh, come up with numbers much better than I can on that end. But um, certainly for the foreseeable future, um, you know, we're still supplying a great amount. And um, as, as I said earlier, you know, unfortunately, there will still be areas that uh, will not be receiving that benefit. Sadly, the the poor are always with us. But it, but I think the food industry, uh, you're sort of saying, is really keeping up for. Uh, as best and with with innovations and increasing in, ship, in shipping what it does have and creating more with with the land available to it, you sort of feel that that we are going to be able to keep up for a a good long for a substantial while with our uh, population, uh, for, right? 
for a while, yeah, and definitely with the with the population in the U.S., I think we will um, mm-hmm. more and more. But again, as the the industry becomes more global and transshipping, um, you know, hopefully we'll see you know the benefit of that as well as uh, areas that perhaps you know cannot produce certain crops that they need can produce something else that then can be exported and traded, and uh, you know will increase their economies. Yeah, you know, I, I, I now I just. Uh, one other thing I wanted to to help make clear: uh, uh, what about the overall food market? I don't mean supermarket; I mean the, the market of food. I've heard you say that it's actually a fairly stable industry comparatively, increasing with only population. That that sort of makes sense. But um, what about food spending? Are we are we spending more on food, and are we going to be forced to spend more on food as time goes by? Um, well, actually, yeah, food spending has been relatively stable. I mean, the average family spends roughly, you know, $7,200 a year on uh, on food, um, which is just under 13% that's, that's of their earning overall hours. income. Excuse me? Uh, okay. That, that's earning hours. That's oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. okay. and the in, but, but the incomes for different people will mean, uh, you know, they're spending more of a family you know, with over two hundred thousand dollars in income, is spending sixteen thousand dollars a year on food. So, uh, you know, more and more of that mm. is there. But uh, you know, it has increased. Um, you know, has been steadily increasing. But inflation has in food has not been significant over the past few years. So uh, it really has um, been little change. So they hopefully their incomes are increasing somewhat more, so they can spend it on other things. Brian, we're running out of time, but I have to get this one in. The terms genetically engineered and genetically modified, they have been greeted with the the same enthusiasm as a presidentially tweeted tariff. Uh, Shed a little understanding on us. What does genetically engineered and genetically modified food mean, and do we have a a lot to fear from these, quote, altered foodstuffs? Uh, Sure. Well, genetically modified, whether they're called, you know, uh, genetically modified, genetically engineered, GM foods, basically the same thing and are um, really foods produced from organisms that have had changes introduced to their DNA using methods of genetic engineering, Um, not your traditional crossbreeding that has been around for many, many centuries, but something a little more uh, involved. Um, and has you know, gen- GM foods or genetically engineered foods have been uh, around for a long time as well, and uh, indeed why um, we are able to help feed the world with uh, genetically modified corn crops and soybeans um, that have helped increase uh, you know the yields and production of our products. So um, for the most part, I mean FDA has pretty much they're in in the process right now of uh, coming up with some uh, labeling requirements for uh, for these foods, um, which I believe um, the latest from the Department of Agriculture is, should be out sometime perhaps later this year. But um, oh. generally the, the Food and Drug Administration has said that, you know, they are safe. They are pretty much the equivalent of their uh, other counterparts and um, that there really is no need to fear them. Of course, there are many critics out there that think otherwise. Right. It's uh, Well, the one thing I do know about it is that Every time they make a a seed, they take a batch of seed and they alter it. There is a whole movement. It's, it was uh, led by Peter Day and uh, at, at Rutgers and many others. That they keep 
the original silo, they keep in silos and in storage, the original food, the original seed, the original uh, spark that, so if the engineering goes awry, they can always retreat back to the original food. I believe that's right. correct, right? Yes, yes, that's okay. the, you know, definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'd, I'd love to go on about this a little longer, but I'm afraid we are, are we have uh, running run entirely out of time. So I thank you so much for coming on, and I must say, you have not only enlightened us, but you've set my whole heart at ease <laughs> about many of the food worries that I had. And uh, so I, I figure I'll be able to uh, get a little food on my table for a few more years, and it's going to be as good and nutritious as, uh, as I expect it to be. So I thank you for all your enlightenment, Brian. And thank you very much. Pleasure being here. So, as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you uh, with today's business quotation. That is, who said, I will not be a common man. I will stir the smooth sands of monotony. I just love that. <laughs> what a goal. The, uh, and a hint, the author of this was the actor who played Lawrence Arabia and many other rogue males, and he lived a life that proved those admirable words. And remember, if you know the author of this quote, simply scribble that author's name down as you believe him or her to be. Send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's info at bartsbooks.com. To win an absolutely life and career-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And be sure to tune in next week. Uh, for the Art of the CEO Radio as we chat with Dr. Ralph Wellborn, Global 500 Corporate Strategist, as he explains uh, how all the old standalone business modelers are, are toppling and how they are being replaced with the next business step that is beginning to take place. Business ecosystems, it is a revolution right under your swivel chair. New insights are yours for the listening. And so do tune in. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, the government seems to offer business two equally unpopular payment plans. Either pay your actual tax bill or buy politicians. The headaches of the latter seem to outweigh the price tag of the former. <laughs> and to you, gleefully sharing our feast, I hope that you've enjoyed uh, The Art of the CEO certainly as much as Brian and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download this on all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally to you who have honored us with your time, may I say as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you. <laughs>